Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Diamondback Debrief. My name is Erin Bailey. I'm your host for our podcast today, and I am joined by Mark Dingler, our Senior Vice President of Government and Regulatory Affairs. And Mark, thanks for joining us. Good to be here. Thank you for having me here. Your first podcast. I'm so excited we get to do this interview. <laughs> but as the SVP for Government and Regulatory Affairs, talk to me, talk to me about what that role entails. Well, it is kind of a broad uh, uh, role. I, not only government affairs, which maybe is a little defined a little differently depending on the organization, but at Diamondback, government affairs includes corporate affairs, which is our uh, local involvement in in all things philanthropy, and uh, then on the uh, uh, state level and the federal level, it also w- would include. Uh, work with our legislatures and our regulatory bodies to um, uh, represent the company and the industry in those settings. Um, Then the regulatory part is just uh, the regulatory function of an ordinary oil and gas company and and that group is uh, falls under government affairs at Diamondback and um, so that's part of our government and regulatory affairs group. And how long have you been in this current role? I would say um, Five years, roughly five years, we started this um, in late 2018. And you've been with Diamondback for how many years? Nine and a half. And throughout the nine and a half, you've had a few different roles, but with the role you're in now, what's your favorite part about it? I would probably, that's a big question. I could probably (laughs) talk a long time on it. Um, Part of it, I could say in a word, is variety. Do a, a variety of things, something new almost every day um, part of what we're here to talk about today is is a unique opportunity that I have at, at Diamondback in in uh, worldwide philanthropy you could say or humanitarian relief and we'll talk more about that later but um, it, it's really getting to work with people in um, various settings various places from from the local community to uh, Austin and our state government all the way to Washington, D.C. and our federal government, and then uh, uh, just a unique opportunity that Diamondback has given me in, in working with um, people in Eastern Europe as, a, as it relates to the war in Ukraine. And so I guess to say it in a word would be variety, just the fact that it's not always the same. It's, it's something a little bit different. And, and get to work with the people that make up Diamondback, and we like to call you all the Diamondbackers. <laughs> and so uh, it's just been a, a unique uh, kind of shift in my my career, and I've really enjoyed uh, doing something new these last few years. And you did touch on it a bit, but in the Government and Corporate Affairs Department, we do help a lot of nonprofits and community organizations through the Permian and Oklahoma City and also state, national, worldwide. And with that, at the onset of the war with Russia and Ukraine, Diamondback pledged $10 million to humanitarian efforts for the Ukrainian people. Can you talk to me a little bit about what we've donated so far and how that's come about? Yeah, shortly after the invasion, uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, um, some of the CEOs in our industry were at an event and began thinking about how they could uh, participate in providing humanitarian relief in Ukraine because obviously a lot of citizens there uh, were being impacted by the invasion and and needed outside help. 
And so uh, Diamondback, along with several other companies, uh, as you mentioned, donated $10 million. And, and uh, so the companies, although everybody acting independently, some of them work together to kind of vet some of the large organizations worldwide that provide this kind of relief in these kinds of situations or even in some cases natural disasters. And, uh, and, and they vetted how they wanted to, to distribute that money because there was a huge need with millions of, of Ukrainians leaving the country, uh, leaving their homes behind, leaving all their assets behind and fleeing. Uh, and at that time, the men were of a certain age were not able to leave, so you had women of all ages, kids uh, leaving, and so there was just a huge amount of, of people at the borders that were in need of everything. And uh, so I had a unique experience unrelated to my role at Diamondback where I went to Romania with my wife. We went to two different borders and we met um, several different organizations that were providing relief to Ukrainians and um, so my wife was serving on a board that that got involved in that and so I just happened to be tagging along and made some relationships there so when I got back to uh, uh, to Diamondback here in Midland uh, I posed the proposition to Travis and Case and and uh, the leadership here and they were all in favor of us uh, looking at a unique way to distribute the dollars that we were willing to allocate for humanitarian relief. And so although we did give one large gift to a large organization, we have really focused on much smaller organizations where the dollars are making it directly on the ground, either in Ukraine itself or in bordering countries where the, the food was bought, the jackets were bought, the boots, whatever it may be, and uh, we're providing provided directly to the Ukrainian people. And so um, I, I would really just say that it's, it, it is, has been a targeted effort, has been rather focused, and it is really just the generosity of, of, the, of Diamond Bank that has allowed me the opportunity to, to really be involved in a direct manner uh, to distribute that. So it's, it's not to say it's the only way to do it. It's just been a... a really a um, unique is a good word I don't know if there's another word but uh, it's really been a special opportunity for me and I think that our aid is you know we like to do things that are you know locally that are close to the students in the education world this is an opportunity to to do something that's close to the need and so instead of our money going to pay salaries for this or that, they're actually buying the goods that are making it on the ground in Ukraine. And with that, you have had the chance to visit Ukraine multiple times now and seeing we've taken more of a boots on the ground approach with our donations, but what is it like seeing that firsthand? You know, maybe life-changing is a way to say it. It's certainly eye-opening to have been in Romania on the border seeing a, a woman walk across the border dragging a couple of suitcases her kids and her mother and just to see her break down after 13 days of traveling and just say why are these people helping me and uh, my wife got to talk to her through a translator and that's really when i thought you know being able to meet these needs 
face-to-face or in a very close relationship rather than the huge organizations. It's just an opportunity that you don't usually get. And again, not to say that the large organizations are the wrong way to go because they they met the needs of many, many people in a very uh, compressed time frame. But the way that we have done it has uh, has really been life-changing to me to see the needs of individuals being met uh, rather than just something on the other side of the world that that you know we can we can almost forget that the war's going on on mm-hmm. a on a minute by minute or day by day basis until something else happens in the news yeah. or you get home and you start reading and you find out that this happened today or that happened today but when you when you know some people by name and you've seen them face to face and they're basically 24/7 providing relief to individuals that otherwise would be struggling even more to have food to eat. So this last visit I had in August, I got to visit the same place that I, one of the places I'd been to in March of 2022, and again in December. And uh, I got to see some of the same kids that I saw in December. I got to see Mm -hmm. the same facilities with some of the same volunteers that were helping them. It really is. I don't know what the best word to describe it. Maybe life changing is a little bit strong, but it's very eye opening. And it, and uh, I wouldn't even say the first time I came back, it was heartbreaking to see the situation mm-hmm. some of these people were going through. But it's also heartwarming to see individuals in Romania that don't even speak the same language and have a hard time communicating without a translator, to see the dedication they have to helping their neighbors from across the border. And so it was, uh, I don't know, there's a lot of words to describe it. Yeah, Yeah, it's life-changing. It's eye-opening, heartwarming, all of the above. And, you know, I would would consider going back pretty often, um, and and maybe we'll talk about it a little bit more. But it, it, this recent visit was my third visit, uh, not only to look at some of the things we've done in the past, but looking at some opportunities mm-hmm. that we might do in the future. Again, focusing, not limiting exclusively, but but focusing on the small organizations where meet a direct need. Again, just a very unique opportunity that Diamondback has afforded me, and uh, I get to go do that on behalf of all of Diamondback. And with that, we have spent just under $5 million of the $10 million that we pledged to give towards the humanitarian efforts. You touched on it with that last answer, that you, with these trips, you're seeing what we've done and where the money has gone so far, but also different opportunities for us to donate to in the future. Can you talk about some of those things that you've seen on your past trip? You know, it, there have been just a lot of unique opportunities through this. I have a way of stretching a short answer into a long answer. <laughs> I was on an airplane traveling back to Midland from D.C. last uh, October, November, and uh, sat down on the plane next to a guy from Midland, and uh, he asked me what I'd been doing, and I said, well, oddly enough, uh, I'm looking, this did not answer what I've been doing. It was what I wanted to do. I said, well, I'm kind of <laughs> thinking about going back to Romania. Uh, he said, well, what are you going to do there? And I said, well, we we have we funded some humanitarian relief for Ukrainians that have uh, come through there and and some are still there and in particular they're housing some orphans and uh, taking care of them and he said oh really you need to meet this friend of mine from the World Orphan Fund and so a couple of days later I find myself talking to um, the president or 
of uh, the World Orphan Fund, and uh, he begins to tell me of things that they're doing for orphanages or orphan centers within Ukraine and needs that they had because it was winter and certain groups were overwhelmed with orphans that had been relocated from eastern Ukraine to western Ukraine that needed food or vitamins or they needed coats, they needed blankets, they needed boots, things like that. And so we were able to jump in and meet meet from a financial side those needs and come to find out that the World Orphan Fund operates just like what we have envisioned and worked towards. They do not have employees. They do not have an office. They have no administrative overhead. Their entire board is volunteers, and when they travel places, they pay for their own. They don't uh, support uh, efforts that they don't have direct knowledge with. So they, they had already been, when I talked to them, to Ukraine twice to for lack of a better term, vet um, some of the organizations that they were supporting financially. And so they have brought several uh, things to us, and and with that we get the assurance that they have direct relationships. And, in fact, that's the group that I traveled with in August. It was the president of the organization and someone from their advisory board, and we visited several orphanages and several things that we had funded in the past. And so, you know, your, I guess your question is, how do we decide what to spend money on? And we look at opportunity by opportunity. We don't necessarily fund 100% of every one of them. Um, sometimes we partner with the World Orphan Fund to provide uh, direct relief to orphanages. Sometimes somebody comes to the World Orphan Fund, it's something they can't fund because they have uh, they can only support the needs of orphans so we've worked together with them quite a bit and then with organizations that they've come across so while I was there I got to meet I don't even know the number several different organizations that I have been introduced to through the World Orphan Fund so how do we decide it's really as the needs are presented to us but it it seems to be coming back over and over to individual relationships. One or two developed here in Midland through talking to somebody, uh, you know, wherever in town, and you let them know what you're doing, and they say, oh, well, I know so-and-so who has done this or done that. And so we've supported uh, one major event over there through a local relationship. We've done others, you know, the, I mentioned the World Orphan Fund through that connection. And then it just kind of builds from there, and you end up building a network of, of contacts that are doing various things, and you pick and choose. And so last year we bought, I want to say it was 2,000 coats for orphans. Uh, this year we've already, when I was there, we, we talked to an organization that has actually set up where they can make coats. And so they are making those in a town called Ternopil, which is or a city. It's west of Kiev. And they had a capacity to build 2,000, and we've, we've helped them increase their capacity by 1,000 so that they can have an extra 1,000 coats made, and we're going to be able to distribute those to orphanages throughout Ukraine as a, re, as a result of our relationship with the World Orphan Fund and the contact that we made face, or I got to be a part of that was face-to-face in August. And so it's really a case-by-case basis, but the, the reality is because they're direct 
relationships and contacts, there's very few that we've passed on. And the ones we've passed on have really been related to the fact that they were a little bit outside our focus area. Our focus mm -hmm. area is, I won't even say our focus, our limitation is our, our funds are going to, directly to humanitarian relief for Ukrainians. So if it's for another group, even if it looks like it's close, then uh, we, we don't fund it. So there's very good efforts worldwide for orphans. That's not, we're not limited to orphans, but it does need to be Ukrainian and it does need to be humanitarian relief. But it's also not for Romanians. So even if our relief is going to Romania, at least as far as the organization goes, the aid has to be for the Ukrainians that are suffering as a result of this war. What is something that not all the Diamondbackers are going to get a chance to go to Ukraine and see our money being put to work and the boots on the ground like you have? So what is something that you wish all Diamondbackers could take away if they just listen to this one part of the podcast from the trips that you've been on in Ukraine and Romania? Well, I, I would like all Diamondbackers to, to realize that they get to be a part of a, a really neat effort. I, I personally get to see it uh, with my own eyes and hear it with my own ears, but I wish you all could have the same sense of pride when you're sitting across from the table, um, maybe in an orphanage, and these people are describing some of their needs or you're, you're sitting across the table from a guy in Romania who is feeding 10,000 Ukrainians a week by bringing food into Romania, bagging it bag by bag, 10,000, up to 10,000 bags a week, and then putting those bags on a truck, driving them across the border and, and handing them out. And the logistics involved, I mean, it's a, it's a Herculean task, but yet, in many cases, I know that without Diamondback, that wouldn't be happening. So when they send me back a picture and I can see these people in line getting their food that they're going to uh, survive on for the next week until they come back, it, it really is heartwarming. And, and I feel privileged and honored to get to be the person that sees it. I wish more could see it. Um, haven't run this by Travis, but I would... <laughs> I would love for uh, one or more uh, Diamondback employees to be able to, to go with me or even to go in my place uh, to see what the aid that Diamondback is providing is doing and the impact that it's having and, and the lives that are being uh, impacted by the efforts of Diamondback, by the resources that we have allocated, and which really is a, a tribute to our leadership that they would make this commitment and um, not only specifically Travis but the rest of the leadership that has supported this and supported my opportunity to to be involved with a hands-on boots on the ground as you called it approach I'll give a plug here for our newsletter that that comes out weekly because mm -hmm. I, I I know that in the future particularly as a re, as it relates to my last trip We'll have some information and maybe even some pictures so that people can can begin to identify a little bit more directly with with the efforts that uh, that Diamondback has made. With a podcast as well. This was a very high level overview, but hopefully in more episodes to come, we'll get to talk about more of the 
not nitty gritty, but more of the specifics and the different things you see in trips coming up or that you've done in the past. So Mark, with that, is there anything that you'd like to add to close this episode out? Maybe it's an ad, maybe I've already said it, but it is an honor to to work for Diamondback and to represent Diamondback, not only in the community, the state, the country, and and now as a result of this, uh, you know, even in Eastern Europe, we 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 focus our philanthropy in in Midland and in Oklahoma City because that's where our employees live and work. Uh, but this has been, although a tragic war and people are going through really just awful situations, it really has been. Uh, it, it just proves out the the character of Diamondback, and it is, like I said, an honor and a privilege to be able to represent Diamondback, and I wish all of the employees could experience what I've experienced, but I think in one way or another, everybody has an opportunity to, to uh, look around them and see what opportunities they're being afforded as a result of Diamondback, and, and uh, although it's, my experience is unique, I think everybody's experience is unique, and uh, I hope that everybody else has the same kind of pride in the opportunities that Diamondback affords them. All right, Mark, thank you so much for joining me today. On behalf of Mark and myself, Aaron, the host of the Diamondback Debrief, we want to thank you for listening. And if you have any questions on today's episode, feel free to reach out to the Corporate Affairs team, and we'll be happy to answer them for you. Have a great day. Thank you, Aaron.